How many of you already quit your New Year's resolution? Right? Um, what we tend to do is we tend to make New Year's resolutions, and we generally make those about trivial things, not the most important things, right? I mean, yes, your health is, is important, and, and a lot of us want to get in shape and lose weight and those types of things, but the Bible says that, that physical training is worth some good, and, and it does say there's some good, but spiritual training is actually better than the physical training. It has long-term eternal goals, and, and what people do is they try to to have these resolutions, and they try to accomplish them by willpower. And if you try to accomplish them by willpower, by the middle of February or the end of February, you're done. You need something more than willpower. Well, we're going to talk about this word resolve today because I'm going to challenge you to make four resolutions, not New Year's resolutions. These are spiritual resolutions that will benefit the rest of your life, not just this year, but the entire rest of your life, however many days you have on earth. So let's look at this word resolve. The word means to decide, to settle, determine, to have a purpose. To have to purpose. That should be a purpose. To have a purpose. Um, With God's help, these four things can radically change your life, and we're going to find them from the life of Moses. Moses is the greatest man in the Old Testament. Anybody heard Moses' name? Anybody not heard Moses' name? It's okay if you hadn't. We're, we're going to tell you just a little bit about him. He's the guy that, that God used to lead the Jews to freedom after 400 years of slavery in Egypt. He challenged the greatest nation of the world at that time, the greatest nation that the, the world had known up to that time, Pharaoh in Egypt, and, and he challenged them, and he said a million men, we don't know how many women, at least a million Jewish men free, so probably somewhere between two and a half and three million people he led out of Egypt. He's the guy that God gave the Ten Commandments to. Moses is the guy that that wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And, and if you think about his life, you might ask the question, why did God use this guy in such an amazing way? Well, I believe it's because of these four choices that he made that we're going to talk about today. Now, most of you know the story of Moses. Um, Pharaoh had decided that the Jewish population was getting too big in Egypt, so he told the midwives, who were the the Jewish ladies who would go and help um, deliver babies, told the midwives to kill every boy, but to leave the women alive because, or the girls alive, because they knew that they could eventually have the the Egyptian men marry the women, and and that would be a good thing, but they didn't want to carry on the Hebrew bloodline through the men. So he told the, the midwives, kill every male son that's born. Well, the midwives didn't do that. The Bible tells us the midwives feared God, so they didn't do that. And so then um, Pharaoh says, well, here's what you're going to do. Every male, since the midwives won't do this, he told all the Jewish people that you're supposed to throw every male child into the Nile River. You're supposed to kill him because he was afraid that they were so numerous that if an enemy came up against him and the Jews aligned with that enemy, they would take the greatest nation in the world down. And so he told them to, to kill him. Well, when Moses parents had Moses, they refused to follow the king's edict, and so they hid Moses in this little thing, and it's called an ark. They put him in a basket, and his mom covered it, and, they, and it's kind of ironic that, I, that uh, Pharaoh said, throw him into the Nile, and then she makes this little boat, and it's actually the literal term ark, and she puts him out there, and for uh, several months, he's out there on the Nile River. Well, one day, Pharaoh's daughter comes out and she's bathing and she hears the baby crying. They bring the baby over to her. She falls in love with this baby and she adopts him. She takes him into her home and he becomes the grandson of Pharaoh, but the only one who knows that she's Jew- that he's Jewish is his mom, the Pharaoh's daughter. All right, so that's where we are when we get to Hebrews chapter 11. That gives you a little background so you understand these verses. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 23. 
By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. And after all, does, does any of us have an ordinary child? Okay, thank you. I just, was, I just checked. None of our kids are ordinary. They're all extraordinary. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. What was the edict? Kill every male uh, Jewish boy. Uh, by faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused. I'm going to tell you to, to circle some words, if you would, while we're going through this. Circle that word, refused. You've got it on your listening guide there. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose, circle that word, chose. He chose instead to be mistreated along with the people of God. So that's the slaves. He chose to identify himself with slaves rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded, circle that word, regarded. He regarded disgrace. He said, it is better to be identified with slaves, if that's what God wants, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Uh, oh, wait, I went back to the other one. He regarded his grace for the sake of Christ as greater value than all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward in heaven. By faith, he left Egypt, so he went with the Jews out of Egypt not fearing the king's anger, Pharaoh's anger. He persevered, circle that word, persevered, because he saw him who is invisible. These four verbs that I had you circle there are the four choices that he made that if you'll make, it will radically impact your life. And let's look at these. When you understand them and their implications for you today, thousands of years after Moses made these choices, if you'll make these choices, it will radically impact your life. First, I refuse to be defined by others. God did not make you to be what somebody else wants you to be. Now, God didn't make you to be what your parents want you to be, what your girlfriend, boyfriend wants you to be, what your wife wants you to be. God didn't make you to be what your boss wants you to be, uh, what your peers want you to be. God made you to be you. You're the only person that can be you and carry out what God wants you to do in this world. This is the first issue that Moses had to deal with. Verse 24 says, By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, here it is, when he'd grown up, this is a mark of maturity. When he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he has this identity crisis. He comes to a point in his life where he has two choices. He can, he's, he's grown up as the grandson of Pharaoh, but he can say, okay, I'm going to stay in this life of ease. He would have success. He would have fame. He would have fortune. All the pleasures that you can imagine in the world, he would be known everywhere he went. He would live a life of ease. Or he could tell everybody he was a Jew. He could say, well, I'm really a slave, at which point they would kick him out of Pharaoh's house because slaves were not worthy to come into Pharaoh's house unless they were slaves. And he would live a life of, of drudgery, of work, of suffering the rest of his life. Which would you choose? Everything that the world says you should want or this other life that God says, I want you to do? I kind of think that most people are living lies today. Because they're trying to be someone that someone else wants them to be. They're trying to impress people um, with their lifestyle, and it's not true. The lifestyle's not even accurate about them. And that causes unnecessary tension in your life. Moses insisted on being who God wanted him to be. So here's my first big question for you today. Who are you letting determine your identity? Now, I know this is kind of a touchy subject because some of you, your, your parents may not even be here anymore, but you're still living under the shadow of what your mom or dad said about you. And it may not be a good thing they said about you. And you're struggling to prove them wrong. Some of you, you know, you're, you're married, you've got relationships, and you're trying to be what your spouse is telling you that you're supposed to be instead of what God is telling you that you're supposed to be. You're trying to live up to their vision for your life. But I want you to see what uh, the Phillips translation of Romans 12.2 says this. 
Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good. Is this one on your listening guide? I couldn't remember. Circle that phrase, the plan of God for you is good. And let me tell you why I want you to circle that. Because you cannot discover the plan of God for your life if you're fulfilling someone else's plan for your life. Don't let peer pressure put, put you into or force you into things that you don't want to do. Those people you're trying to, pre- to impress, can I tell you a little secret? They don't like you anyway. They're not your friends. If you'll get around some people who will love you for you and who are chasing after God, see, that's really what we're supposed to do in small groups. We're supposed to chase after God together. And I say this all the time. You become like people that you hang out with. If you want to become more dedicated to Christ, hang out with people who are dedicated to Christ. If you want to have a strong marriage, hang out with people who like their spouses. I mean, does that not make sense? Why would you... I'm not going to hang out with people that run their spouses down because I don't want that poison in my mind. I like my wife. She's awesome. Yeah, I know. Everybody's like, we love Janie. Nobody ever says, we love Doug. That just doesn't happen. Everybody loves Janie. So I know. I did it on purpose. I married somebody y'all would like. So you'd put up with me. I, I understand the process. Instead of trying to impress, impress people that don't even really like you, let's recalibrate and let's try to impress God who loves you so much that if he had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If, if he had a wallet, your picture would be in it. That's how much your heavenly Father cares about you. Let's impress him. Look at what 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 says. Our purpose, I mean, this just boils it down. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. God knows what you're doing. And he knows whether you're being pure and honest or not. And I love this next one. This is Jesus. And this is in the real Lord's Prayer, not the one, our Father who art in heaven. That's a model prayer. When Jesus was praying in John chapter 17, this is him praying. Look what he says about his disciples. This is awesome. He says, they are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. And, and so here's what I, another question I have for you. Can you say that about yourself, that you're not defined by the world? I think if we're honest today, most of us have to say, we're letting someone else squeeze us into their idea of what life should be, not what God says my life should be. We're scared to death of, of criticism and disapproval. But when you, when you draw near to God... And, and you become who God wants you to be, and you please only your Heavenly Father, it frees you from the, the pressure of trying to be what somebody else wants you to be. It frees you from that uh, criticism and rejection and disapproval stuff. You have to say, I'm not going to let someone else squeeze me into the mold. Their approval or disapproval is not going to shape my life. I'm going to live for an audience of one, and his name is God. He loves me, and I want to be what he says I should be. Refuse to be defined by anyone but God. Second choice. I choose short-term pain for long-term gain. Anybody who's ever played sports knows this one. Um, you got to practice in order to make a championship game, right? You can't just walk out and win a championship. Just ask the Dallas Cowboys. Every year, I hear how great the Cowboys are. Do you know the last time they won a championship? 1995. We suck. I mean, right? 
I'm still a fan, but I'm just not a very big fan. I'm a fa- I'll tell you, I don't like watching stupid football. I like watching good football. And, and so ask, ask the Ravens if their, if their uh, path to the Super Bowl was easy. I mean, ask San Francisco. They were in the championship game against them. Ask them if the path was easy. There's nothing easy about being a championship team. You have to work at it. So you have to do some short-term pain in order to get long-term gain. Is that what you do with, with physical therapy, John? Don't you tell them? I remember when I had knee surgery, and John was up at the, just happened to be at the Y at the same time I was, and he was telling me what all I need to do. And the first thing he wanted me to do was get on the bicycle. And it hurt. I just had, I mean, and he has no sympathy whatsoever. Um, it was like two days before I'd had my surgery, you know, and I, I was, it hurt. And he's like, dude, you really need to, to step it up. I'm like, dude, you really need to shut up. I didn't say that. I thought it, but, but being spiritual, I waited until it was in a sermon. Then I thought I could share it. Um, <laughs> but, but I knew he was right. I knew if I didn't do that, and, and what they're saying is, if you don't exercise, that knee can, can become permanently bent, if you don't really get after it. So you've got to do some short-term pain in order to get long-term gain. Well, this is true in finances as well. You don't just kind of ease into a good financial situation. There are uh, over 20 people who have started our FPU classes, and, and there's more of you that, that couldn't come last week that, that I'm expecting you all to be there this week. It takes some discipline and it takes some work to have good finances where you give to the kingdom of God, where you pay for your kingdom and saving, and then you live on the rest. That takes discipline. It takes some short-term pain. One of, one of Dave Ramsey's things is live like no one else so that you can live like no one else. So he tells people, you'll hear this all the time. Folks will say, man, we cut out all of the, the non-essentials and we lived on just a little bit, but now... Some of, sometimes it's two years, sometimes it's ten years. They say, but now we have financial freedom and we have financial peace. It's worth it. It, it happens in relationships. It happens in marriage. One of the things that, that Janie and I have done is worked on our marriage. We've, sometimes we've stayed up half the night talking through problems, issues, until we get it resolved so that we can go to bed and not be angry with one another. I think my wife and I have a good relationship, but it's because we work at it. If you don't work at your relationship, you're not going to have a strong marriage. It's just real simple. And, and this goes with, with just about anything uh, in your life. Now, why is this, this resolution so important? Because m- the problem in most of our marriages, finances, whatever you want to call it, the problem is this word, this phrase that Americans do not understand. Here's the phrase, delayed gratification. Everything in our society says, buy it now, buy it now. Can you afford it? Who cares? Buy it now. You deserve it. Buy it now. The reason so many people are in debt is because we do not delay gratification. We don't teach our kids delayed gratification. Can we afford it? No. Do we have cash to pay for it? No. Let's slap it on a credit card. Who cares whether we're going further into debt? Let's put it on a credit card because we don't know how to delay gratification. The reason America is falling off a fiscal cliff is because our government does not know how to delay gratification. The same principle applies physically in your health. You don't want to pay the price for good health, well, then you're not going to feel good. You've got to exercise, have a proper diet, and get enough sleep. How many of you get enough sleep on a regular basis? Less than half of us. What does that say? We're going to be in trouble. It's true in dating. People say... I don't want to wait for sex. And, and the thing is, most people know 
that you're not supposed to have sex before marriage, but who cares what God says? I want to do this. And so it causes problems because you're giving a part of yourself away. Anytime you have sex before marriage, you give a part of your heart to them. There's an emotional attachment. You keep giving part of your heart to all these other people. It's no wonder you have problems in your marriage because God intended for that to go to your spouse. I, I don't regret at all not having sex before marriage because there's one woman that I've given my heart and my body and my soul to. I don't regret it at all. And I've told you all this. When I go home for, for my reunions, my high school reunions, there's no problems with any women there. Don't have to avoid anything because I didn't give any of them anything except some lip. <laughs> I've always liked to kiss. I started that in first grade. Yeah. Would you agree with me that the right thing to do is rarely the easy thing to do? Typically, the easy thing to do is wrong. Almost every time, the right thing to do is difficult. Somebody hurts me, I want to hurt them back. I want to hold a grudge. They need to pay for my pain. The Bible says forgive them. That's difficult. It, it involves releasing something to God, because God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And we say, no, I want to repay, right? The, the hard thing to do is the right thing to do. Well, here's what Moses did. He made a choice. Verse 25, it says, Moses chose to be mistreated. That's pretty painful, along with the people of God as a slave, rather than enjoy in the palace of Pharaoh the pleasures of sin for a short time. What I love about the Bible is the Bible is very real and very honest. It says sin is fun. Sin is pleasurable. Nobody would do sin if it hurt. It's fun. But the Bible says it's fun for a very short season. And then it'll bite you. And it will take you down. And it will ruin marriages. It will ruin families. Because it's short term. God has given you this freedom of choice to do whatever you want to, but you're not free from the consequences of that choice. So I could go out and I could have sex with anybody I wanted to. That's my free right to do, but I'm not free to do that without suffering consequences, which would be a broken marriage, which would be my children looking at me and say, you hypocrite, how dare you stand there in the pulpit, or sit there in the pulpit, sit there and, and preach this stuff, and then you don't even practice it. I'm going to reject your God. That's the way it goes. I could get sexually transmitted diseases. I could get uh, someone pregnant and have another child. Oh my gosh. Does that, does that ever... Yeah, I'm too old to have another child, for one thing. But, but what happens when, when you have multiple children from multiple families? It's, it's not an easy life. There are consequences to every choice. So you, you are free to make the choice, but you're not free of the consequences. So why don't we make good choices in the first place? Make God choices in the first place. Moses chose to be mistreated, to, be, to do the short-term pain for the long-term gain of doing the right thing. And this is kind of interesting. The Bible tells us that God chose Moses first. When he was a child, God knew he was going to use Moses. God chose Moses first, but then in verse 24, it, Moses had to choose God. So here's the deal. God has chosen you. Every one of you, God has chosen you. The real question is, have you chosen God? Have you chosen to get on his path? If not, that's why you're not being used by God. The Christian life is not just this, this matter of refusing. 
Moses did that first. Moses refused, and then he chose. And so a lot of people think that Christian life is all about what you don't do. Don't smoke, don't cuss, don't chew, don't go out with girls that do. But the Christian life is much more than that. If, if the Christian life was just a matter of what people don't do, dead people would be Christians because they don't do anything, right? Here's the deal. Christianity, yes, you refuse one thing, but it's always followed by choosing something else. The negative is always for a positive reason. The reason that God doesn't want you to have sex before marriage is not that God doesn't want you to have sex. God invented sex. It's that God wants to protect you. There's a positive reason. God wants to protect you and provide for your future. Protect you from sexually transmitted diseases. Protect you from unwanted pregnancy. Protect you and provide for this glue that happens in your marriage that you, you take two people who do it right, do it God's way, and God cements their hearts together. That's what he wants to provide for you. So the negative is always followed by a positive. You refuse, then you choose. Now, the other thing is that Moses did this when he'd grown up, when he had matured. It's a sign of maturity when you refuse certain things and you choose other things. It's a mark of responsibility. So here's another question. Where do you need to start accepting responsibility for your life? When are you going to quit blaming others for your, your unhappiness? If I just had a different wife, really? Newsflash, if you had a different wife, you'd still be there. You got issues. You do. If, if I just hadn't grown up in the family I did... Well, you can, you can do that one to the grave. That's not going to get better. If I could just get married. Oh, I hate the single life. I tell you this all the time. It's better to be single and lonely than to be married and lonely. I deal with it all the time. Married, lonely people are the most miserable people on the planet. If we could just have a baby. I love my babies. I love that my babies are growing up. We're at a new stage of life. This is awesome. And I remember when we got to the point when we wouldn't let babies come over that, that couldn't go potty by themselves. If you weren't potty trained, you couldn't come to our house because, like, I did my time. I'm waiting till grandkids. I'll help with the grandkids, but I, I've done my time. We're in this new phase of life. It's awesome. If I just had a job, well, that, that would help. You know, we think all these things, if, 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 if. It's that, it's that word that we saw. If this, then... Why don't you start being happy now? Because here's the deal. Happiness is a choice. You are as happy as you choose to be. And let me tell you this too. You are as close to God as you choose to be. If you're not close to God, it's not the preacher's fault. It's yours. Look in the mirror. Because you've moved away from Him. Your Heavenly Father's crazy about you, wants to spend time with you. If you're neglecting Him, you're not going to be close to Him. You've got to make a choice. So the first thing I do is I say I'm going to refuse to let myself be defined by other people. Second, I'm going to choose short-term pain for long-term gain. That's what Moses did. Third, I choose God's values, not the world's. Hebrews eleven twenty six. He, Moses, thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. There's that delayed gratification thing again. He's making a value judgment here. He's clarifying what's most important. So let me ask you this, another big question. Can you name the three most important values in your life right now? If I were to ask you to stand up, bam, 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 could you rattle off the three most important things in your life? If you can't, there's absolutely no way you're living by those values. You can't live by them if you can't even name them. 
You've got to know what's most important. And if, if you don't get this right, you're not going to grow closer to Christ because you don't know how to live your values if you can't write them out. So maybe you should spend some time today or in the next few weeks writing out what is most important and begin orienting your life over those things. Moses chose God's values over the world's. Why is this important? Here it is. If you don't decide what's important for your life, what's important in your life, other people will determine what's important for you. Your boss will be glad to tell you that the, the, the job is the most important thing in your life. Your, your mother-in-law will be really happy to tell you what you should do with your life. Stirring the pot, I know, I know. You, you get the, the point. You've got to know what's important or others are going to do it for you. They're going to push you, squeeze you into the mold, and your life is going to be their values, not yours. Moses walks away from the very things that all of us look, think are so important. He walked away from the world's treasure, from the world's pleasure, and the world's measure of success. He put it all behind him. Why would he do that? Because I think he understood that it wouldn't last. 1 John 2, 17 says, The world and everything that people want in it are passing away, but the person who does what God wants lives forever. That's long-term gain. I'm giving up. I'm, I'm having some short-term pain for long-term gain. Walk, Moses walked away because of verse 26. He was looking ahead to his reward. And, and this is the big thing. If you don't get anything else, get this. Vision sets your values. What I mean is what you're looking at is what you're going to value. If, if you're looking to God, you're going to value God and the things of God. If you're looking at a catalog, you're eventually going to value the things that are in that catalog. Another bass boat. I don't know. I, was just, I know. I, I saw her. She, she whacked him. I just see all the pictures of, of Chase fishing. And I'm not saying that's his value. There's nothing wrong with fishing. Um, but but if you're, whatever you're looking at, that's what you're going to value. If you want to value your family, pay attention to your family. If you want to value your marriage, pay attention to your marriage. Make sure that your values line up with God's values or you will not have God's hand on you. God says, these are the values I want you interested in. The rest of them, you're on your own. And you don't want to face life without the God of the universe on your side. Fourth thing, I choose to live by faith rather than by fear. This is from verse 27. By faith, Moses left Egypt. In other words, he identified with him slaves. He hooked up with the slave train. He left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He wasn't worried about Pharaoh. Now, this is kind of cool. Um, if you, if, I don't remember if this is on your listening guide. If, you, if it is, circle the word faith and circle not fearing. And here's why. You're going to live by one or the other. You're going to live by faith or you're going to live by fear. Um, by faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who's invisible. Who's him who is invisible? Christ. Moses goes to the most powerful man in the world at this time, and he says, hey, you know those slaves that, that are giving you free labor, that are building your pyramids and doing all your storehouses and all that stuff? I'm taking them. Yeah, yeah, we're leaving. We're not doing that anymore. We're, we're, we're heading out. See ya. And, and Moses had every reason to be afraid because the, the Egyptians believed that Pharaoh was a god. Now, I'm going to give that a lowercase g. There's only one uppercase g, Jehovah God. But he, they thought he was a god. So whatever he said went. So if he said, you cut off your right arm, you cut off your right arm. He said, you murder your wife, you murder your wife. And some people did that whether he told them to or not. But that's another story. Whatever Moses said, the people had to do. And, and Pharaoh comes, I mean, Moses comes up to Pharaoh. Whatever Pharaoh said, people had to do. Moses comes and says, we're, we're out of here. And Pharaoh looks at him and he goes, you and what army? 
And I wish I could have been there because I think that Moses said, there's a higher power than you, Pharaoh. And I answer to him. And I don't know if you know much of the Old Testament, but there is a, a story where Elisha uh, was being surrounded. And the mic falls off his ear. Uh, Elisha's being surrounded, and, and his, uh, his servant is worried because he thinks they're going to die because there's this massive army around them. And Elisha's just going about his business, just having this great old time. And, and so his, his servant said, why are you not upset? And Elisha said, because our army's bigger than their army. And the servant goes, what? And so he goes, Lord God, you know, I, I, I can see, Lord God, would you open his eyes? And the Bible says that when his eyes were opened, he saw chariots of fire surrounding the camp. And Elisha says, that's why I'm not afraid. Our army's bigger. When you focus on God and you begin to see into the spiritual realm and recognize the power that God has, your problems shrink. And that's the issue is we've got our problems, we got our, our problems foremost in our eyesight and not our God. God's bigger than your problems. And so he says, I answer to a higher power. And here's the thing. The closer you get to God, the less fear there is in your life. The closer you are to God, the more you begin, you begin to live by faith. And the Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. Hebrews eleven six, Not difficult, not, not kind of hard, impossible to please God without faith. So the closer you are to him, the more you're filled with faith. Um, I have a picture here. Do you all remember this, this girl? Bethany Hamilton, you remember her? Notice that her left arm is missing. You remember the story? She was surfing in Hawaii. She was a competition surfer. And, and one day, while she was out practicing, a shark comes up and bites off her whole left arm. She almost died. Have y'all seen Soul Surfer, the movie? It's a great movie. Well, the, the doctors told her, you know, that she probably would never get in, in the, the water again. She wouldn't surf again because her balance would be off and all this stuff. And she would probably be afraid to ever get in the water again. Well, this, this young lady decides that she's, she's not going to allow fear to rule her life. And she became a champion surfer after she lost her left arm. Pretty, pretty impressive deal uh, because she refused to let these things get her down. Some of you have been hurt by churches, by relationships, by other things. And so you're, you're living your life in fear, and it's time to get back in the water. It's time for you to test the waters of Christianity again and becoming close to God and, and not close to someone else. Um, you need to say, I'm not going to let fear dominate my life. I'm going to be filled with faith. But don't just have faith in yourself. Your faith is only as good as the object of your faith. So don't ever put your faith in another human being because they'll let you down. I don't care if it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend or the president of the United States. They're going to let you down. But when you put your faith in Christ, something incredible happens. Look at Galatians 2.16. But, but we know that God accepts only those who have faith in Jesus Christ. No one can please God by simply obeying the law. So we put our faith in Christ Jesus, and God accepted us because of our faith. So the question is, have you done that? Have you put your faith in Christ Jesus? If you haven't, that's the first thing you got to do. Because you don't get God's power until you're in God's family. And, and see, if you're going to keep these four resolutions, not just this year, but for the rest of your life, you're going to need three things to help you do that. First is Christ. You have to have Christ in your life. Second, you need a support group. You need a small group of Christians who will gather around you. 
You weren't made to go through life alone. It's kind of like you know, climbing Mount Everest. Nobody climbs Mount Everest by themselves because it's too difficult. You need a team. Uh, and in fact, most of the time, they go with Sherpas who are professionals. They've done it many times, and they help them make it to the summit, or if they get sick or whatever, they carry them down. Because if you don't have anybody on Mount Everest, you die. That's, that's just the way it is. And that's really how it is in the spiritual life as well. You're probably going to have some kind of crisis in 2013. That's just playing the odds. Um, it's highly unlikely that you're going to go the next 365 days without some kind of crisis. Whether that's, you know, uh, I don't know what, what yours is going to be. Physical illness, relationship crisis, financial crisis. Wouldn't it be smarter to put in place this support group, group before a crisis happens rather than after? This happens all the time. People, people get upset with me because something happens. They go into the hospital or something happens in their life. No one knows about it. And they get mad at that sorry preacher for not having spiritual discernment coming to my house. Why not put the support group in, in place now before you have a crisis? Because you're going to need somebody. You become a friend to them, they become a friend to you, and they become closer than your even uh, blood relatives. So let's get that straightened out. So you need Christ, you need a group, and then you, you've got to expect God's help. That's the third thing that you need. Isaiah 50. Verse 7 says this, because the sovereign Lord helps me. That word sovereign Lord means there is no higher power. Sovereign means he owns it all. He can do anything he wants to because the highest God in existence, because that God helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like stone, determined to do his will. That's a resolution on steroids. I have set my face like stone. I'm going to do his will, and I know that I will not be put to shame. What I look at determines my values. So in that verse it says, focus on God and expect God to help you. That's how you keep a resolution. The Bible says this about Moses. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible, Christ. You can only accomplish God-sized goals, impossible goals, if you're looking at God. And my job as your pastor in 2013 is to help keep you focused in the right place. So, I just want to ask you, are you ready to do this? Are you ready to make some changes, make some resolutions that will impact your life as well as future generations? Let's pray together. God, I just want to pray that nobody will enter into this lightly. I'd rather one person in this group be sold out to you and go for it than a hundred people be lukewarm and do it just because it seems like the cool thing to do at the moment. Father, would you speak to your people as I can't? I can't do it. But through your Holy Spirit, Lord, would you penetrate to the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts? And would you fan into flame the gift of God that is in each of your followers? so that we might make a difference in this world because we've got our eyes focused firmly on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.